what does it mean when we believe that one person is able to carry all of the work for us, right? Rather than us being part of the work and getting involved in that work. And so leaders should be the people who inspire us to do more, not the people we expect to do more for us. Forgotten Corner Podcast would not exist without our listeners. If you enjoy the work we are doing on this show and would like to support further, please consider a donation through our Patreon account, patreon.com backslash Forgotten Corner Pod, or visit our website, forgottencornerpod.com. Welcome back to the Forgotten Corner Podcast. Acknowledge that the Forgotten Corner occupies unceded Indigenous land. We acknowledge that the Blackfoot Confederacy never surrendered its land in the signing of Treaty 7, but agreed to share it. The Forgotten Corner sits on Treaty 7 and Treaty 4 territory, traditional lands of the Siksika, Kainai, Pekani, Stony Nakoda, and Sutina, as well as the Cree, Sioux, and the Soto bands of the Ojibwa peoples. We also honor and acknowledge that we are on the Metis Nation within Region 3. The Forgotten Corner is a proud member of the Harbinger Media Network, and if you'd like to check out other progressive podcasts such as this, uh, we have a link that we provide always in our show notes, so go ahead and uh, click on that. My name is Scott Schmidt. I'm the co-host here alongside my good friend and co-host Jeremy Appel. We are sans our producer and recorder, uh, editor today, Mo Franker, uh, but we'll say hi because he'll still do all the work when we're done. We, We fired him. Yeah, that's right. Well, we better not, because that's pretty much, uh, unless you plan on taking over his job, uh, that's the end of the Forgotten Corner if we fire him. But uh, Jeremy, how's it going, buddy? Good. Good. Uh, you know, things are uh, things are going pretty well. Um, you know, that's it's coming. Great. I mean, we're, we're recording on uh, Saturday, as always, and uh, today's the last day of voting for the uh, Cargill, the company's latest offer. So right. uh, if it gets turned down, I'm going to High River next week. Um, but yeah, by the time you're listening, I'll either be in High River or I won't be. So I'm sure you won't say like specifically on air, but I thought about this the other day. I was like, you know, like ratifying a deal and like uh, if the if the workers get what they like, then this is a good thing. I was like, Jeremy would be pissed because he can't <laughs> it'll all end before he gets to go and do this exciting um, coverage of so like just as a journalist, is it like for like, you know, let's not pretend that we aren't happy when uh, people can be, uh, you know, signing a contract. I think there's like 20 percent money and whatnot added on and some other things. So if they're happy, they're happy. But I'm just asking it's you, pretty as a big journalist, do you have mixed feelings about if they sign a deal and you don't get to go do this? I mean, because I thought they were going on strike. That's what uh, you right. know, one of the uh, labor studies professors I interviewed for, for my, uh, not my most recent piece, but previous one was like, oh, they're going on. Like once the company said they were locking workers out, he's like, there's no way this is getting resolved by December 6th. And, right. Uh, it may get resolved by December 6th. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to have to give him a call and be like, why were you wrong? <laughs> Explain yourself. Uh but yeah, no, I, I, I mean, I, you know, I was looking forward to going to the picket line. I have my uh, Alberta advantage. I always pay my union dues hat. Um, so I was going to wear that. Fucking shill. Sorry. <laughs> and, uh, but you're yeah, not going to tell mean, a balanced story like that, Jeremy. Yeah, I know. Well, I'm not going to tell a balanced story anyways. So uh, I mean, yeah, the hat. No, I- that was obviously i'm anti-balance um anti-balance you're an anti-balance activist i am anti-balance activist in the world of journalism um so that's yeah like i was wondering i mean obviously um if something can get worked out and and like i said if the workers end up happy then that's great um what we don't want is them taking something um just to avoid a, a dispute but nonetheless just as a journalist, I know that something like that, mm. those are experiences that last a lifetime, right? Like just covering things like that, being part of that would have been uh, quite an experience. And like, you know, it's, that's the funny thing about, funny maybe, haha, but one of the strange things about being a journalist is some of the most memorable things you'll be a part of are things that maybe the world would be better if they didn't happen. 
right? Like yeah, that's we're, very co- true. we're covering a lot of disaster and negativity, right? And sometimes, uh, unf- like, without saying that we like are out there trying to cause it, it's exciting sometimes to cover some of these crazy things that happen. And like, you would be not human if you didn't admit that, right? So, anyway, um, we have a <clears throat> kind of excited about today because as I, I looked back as we have like this is like our 85th episode if you count them all as like the same thing because we of course put them on the on our like whatever how mo whatever you call it right the podcast if you look at it it's all like episodes are numbered if we have a guest but then we have just us which is a different number and then we have book club and we have people that were on for part two or even part three and that got the same number freaking episode so it's hard to know how many we have but this is our 85th episode we go back um our guest today was on our sixth episode all time and i don't know if we gotten any better at this but uh that was a, it seems like a lifetime ago june of 2020 um so yeah right like a long time ago a lot has happened since right and so um it's only been a year and a half but um longest year and a half of most everybody's life i think but anyways, to get to the show, we are very pleased to ha- welcome back to the show Bridget Sterling, who is a now former trustee for the Edmonton Public School Board, um, having chosen not to run again. And uh, I jokingly said to her today, this better be a tell all today. Like, you know, we want all the dirt that's available. But yeah, we'll give see- us the goss. Bridget. <laughs> right. But we'll see where we go there. But if you want to learn all about Bridget and, and uh, her upbringing and uh, her likes and dislikes and her prof- uh, profession before trustee and all that, go back and listen to episode six. Um, there's a lot of great stuff in there. But uh, for the interest of uh, getting on with it, welcome back to the Forgotten Core, Bridget. Thanks. I mean, 79 episodes. It feels like 79 years. It's That's fine. Right. <laughs> I know. I know. Yeah. I mean, we, I was kind of talking about this with uh, Roberta um, the other or yesterday, maybe the other day, but like, it's really hard to like such a dumb question now. Hey, how's it going? Like it used to be such a quick, like, yeah, I'm fine. But like, I mean, who's fine? <laughs> like in our <laughs> circle anyways, those of us that are like aware of the tire fire, how fine are you? people make that face right when you ask them how are you doing and they kind of make that like that that tortured face is like do I answer this question honestly or do I just you know like just say I'm fine so we can get on with our day right so yeah my answer to that is usually well you know (laughs) (laughs) yeah and like admittedly I have it better than most people so that's sometimes there's guilt in just being being like yeah I'm fine you know that's another part of it because it's not is not very fine out there, but um, we, we can maybe tack some of the talking about that stuff on at the end of the show. But um, I guess let's start with, um, do you mind uh, giving us a little bit of a, a story or an idea behind what made you not want to run again um, for the uh, school board this year? Yeah, um, well, I mean, there's a lot of reasons, right? Um, for one thing, I think like a lot of people during this pandemic, you really think about kind of your life and what you're doing and where you're going. And, you know, it's, I think a lot of people's worldviews and politics and stuff have shifted in the last few years, you know, the last couple of years as we've, you know, it's been wild, right? But, um, you know, there's a couple of other things, one of which is that I'm working on a PhD, right? And I, I have to say it is refreshing to just be a PhD student. It almost feels relaxing, which, you know, is, is kind of laughable because it's, it's a pretty intense process. And, um, but you know, it, it, one of the things I was finding is it's really hard to make progress on my academic work while being a trustee in the middle of a pandemic, right? It's, it's a busy job at the best of times. Technically it's part-time, like you're, you're paid, you know, part-time salary, you're expected to be, the expectation when you kind of go in is that you're expecting to be working, you know, 10 to 20 hours a week. But what I found is it was during the last couple of years, especially, I think to do the job well in a large city anyways, it, it takes a lot more time. But in the last couple of years, especially, it's it's become just so much, right? We just from crisis to crisis to crisis. And not only with the pandemic, which has been had a huge impact on schools. And we can maybe talk a bit more about, about how I perceive the, the way that's been handled, um, but also, um, 
you know, you, you added that on top of what was already happening in education in Alberta with the cuts and everything that was taking place and a government that is just fundamentally uninterested in working with anybody in education to actually do the right stuff. Um, you know, and you, it, it just became exhausting. Okay. And I, I think a lot of, a lot of people were feeling the same way. You saw seven trustees in Edmonton Public choose not to run again this time. And not all of them because of the current situation, but I think it was a factor in everybody's decision. Um, you know, and the other part, and at the heart of it is, you know, I, I, I spent a lot of years aspiring towards electoral politics. Um, you know, I was heavily involved in a political party. I, I ran for office several times, you know, ended up getting elected and then ended up realizing that you know, the, the elected political world is maybe not a place that somebody like me really belongs, or maybe it is, but it's not currently, you know. Um, yeah, I, and I found that, you know, my ethics and my sense of self really felt challenged um, by the job and by the world of, of sort of formal politics. And um, yeah, I, I kind of, started to feel like I needed to either leave it or give up part of my soul, you know, and, and that was, that was hard. Now you have like the term that you had sort of overlapped to the, the two provincial governments, right? Like when you were elected, the NDP was still running things. And then the UCP comes in after like halfway through kind of thing. Yeah. You, right. Yeah, I was actually elected because Sarah Hoffman was elected. Right, as right, that's right. Yeah, that's right. yeah. So right. So can we just you, talk? Do you a know Sarah bit? well? Yeah, Sarah's actually the person who originally uh, recruited you. One of the people who originally encouraged me to run for the school board. I think Sarah. Yeah, Sarah really encouraged me to run. I, I've known Sarah for a number of years through politics. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about just sort of what the because you know I think we know that. Um, when one once the UCP came in, certainly the stress level heightened and the, the the number of sort of battles you felt that you were in. Can we can you just sort of talk about what that might have been like, um, that transition and sort of where where your mind was when you got into it and sort of how their approach affected uh, how you looked at it? Yeah, I mean, I think about, you know, and and in my first four years on the board, you know, I came in, obviously I came in, in a by-election. I had, we had a government in power. They were pretty new in power, um, but that had a number of commitments to public education. Um, and with, you know, a number of the, the MLAs I knew personally, um, you know, not that that should shape everything, but, you know, when you have personal relationships and, and when you have elected officials who come from, in a lot of ways, the world that you're coming from, right? So we had a minister of education who was uh, formerly a teacher and actually formerly my teacher. He was my grade nine science teacher uh, in David Egan, right? So you have these longtime um, people who've been really passionate about public education issues who are in government. Um, that said, they weren't perfect on public education issues. There were a number of decisions that, you know, I think I really some of them I really strongly disagreed with, um, but what we did have was, was a respectful working relationship all the way through, right? So you never felt, I never felt that even when there were decisions I disagreed with, I didn't feel that there was a hostile relationship between trustees and government, right? That there was, uh, inevitably there's conflict and and obviously those things can fall out on political lines and some more conservative communities may have felt a little differently but I think in most situations you had a government that wanted to work with people in education uh, and and it fundamentally wanted to do good things for kids um, so you know we went from that to a government that even before they were elected was clearly hostile Right. So you looked through their uh, their platform, you looked at all their documents. And during the election campaign, I felt a little bit like like um, Cassandra. Right. You, you're trying to to warn people about the disaster that's coming because I had actually spent time digging into and looking at the platform and then at all kinds of surrounding documents and patterns and trends of what was going on. And so here I am. I'm out there. I'm saying this is bad. This is what is coming. And people are like, oh, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. They're going to be fine. Right. The 
you know, it, it's going to be okay. They're, they're not really going to do that stuff. That's just for their base. And then they came in and they started doing every single thing that they said they were going to do. I mean, if, they are who we thought when they were right. Yeah. And I mean, you know, there's part of me that when Jason said, Jason Kenny says um, promises made promises kept. Yeah. In a lot of ways, it's true. And mm-hmm. they're kind of terrifying things that got promised. Right. So that was really hard because it, right off the bat, like it was, it was, we're here to go to war with you. Right. And I have never, and colleagues I've talked to who were in trusteeship well before, you know, the NDP was elected who, who were used to dealing with the old PC government. I've never seen this kind of approach. Um, and, and they hadn't either this incredibly hostile, threatening, bullying, intimidating, um, using punitive audits, threatening to fire school boards um, if they didn't toe the line, uh, even uglier behind the scenes, right? And so just a really, <clears throat> as you saw the public battles, but the communications behind the scenes, like deeply disrespectful. Tell, and, tell us a bit more about those communications behind the scenes. Well, I mean, and I wasn't, I wasn't part of all of them and I have to be a bit careful because, you know, I still need to respect some confidentiality things, but I would say that um, the communications were, super disrespectful right that that there was you know things said like don't you dare don't you dare do that right um you look at what happened with cbe um calgary board of education and the fact that the audit was announced so say had a second audit announced of all of their finances and it was shortly after i mean david egan had done a a major audit of cbe already and then again a year later um entirely punitively, in my opinion, uh, Adriana LaGrange decides to audit the CBE. Uh, and it was clearly a ploy to, um, you know, to shape what was going on in, in that board. And, um, you know, a, an attack on the school board through this use of an audit, which ties up massive amounts of time and resources and money. And it's terrifying for trustees because it can then be used as a way to like the, the threat is that we could remove your board at it's, any point. It's in time. coercion, right? Yeah, like, it is coercion. Well, exactly it's what the we use of an administrative week, process. Right, yeah. Jeremy? Like when we were talking about part yeah. three in the book, it's like this is the same tactic. It's just coercion mm-hmm. of like, you know what we could do if you don't comply. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it, and but they they love to do politically motivated audits, right? From the the supervised mm-hmm. consumption site in Lethbridge to the Calgary Board of Education to uh, environmentalist charities, right? Like that that is a huge weapon in their arsenal, and that goes back to when Kenny was a minister in Harper's government. Mm-hmm. They did the same thing. Well, um, we got against threatened with one too. We we got threatened with one too, right? So what 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 uh, did you do to avoid it? So we got um, and we actually had to do some. So we got told that the for the to be allowed to use our surplus dollars to which we had planned to do to address COVID, uh, that we needed to provide justification why we had money in our surplus to be allowed to spend money from our surplus. So you've got too much money in your savings. So we won't allow you to spend the money from your savings because you so, have too much money. Like it was just this absurd, like you're we too must good have with been your get, money. You must've been getting too much money in the past if you have a surplus. Well, and the surplus came about, right? That, that <laughs> surplus came about because in 2015, the UCP had announced a budget, or not UCP, the, the Progressive Conservatives before the election in 2015 had announced a budget. So folks will I think way back because it feels like a million years ago now. They had they had brought forward their, their budget, right? It hadn't been passed yet, but it had been brought forward. And so school divisions uh, anticipated that that was gonna be the budget and there were cuts, right? And so um, Edmonton Public reined in its spending massively. And this, this happened, um, before I was on the board, obviously, because it was before my election, but they reined in their spending massively. And then suddenly the NDP were elected and the budget the NDP brought in that fall was a, com- a huge reversal, right? So it didn't cut anything. And so suddenly um, a lot of school divisions ended up with way more money than they expected because they had cut back their budgets and saved a ton of money anywhere they could right. to address the fact that they were anticipating cuts. And then we had a government we didn't expect, different budget. And so that money was in reserves but if you look back through the Edmonton public so 
budgets over those few years since that happened, every year you saw a careful, gradual spending down of the surplus in, in a manageable, sustainable way, but enough to keep like money for a rainy day a cushion. But now the UCP brought in the ability to control whether school divisions can spend those surpluses. And so they can't spend that money without government approval now. And then they said, we won't approve you spending that money unless you can prove to us and you can show us why you have that money. And it's like, so you, we you think we have too much money, but you won't let us spend the too much money we have in our schools so that we don't have too much money. Right. Like, it's just a weird, it, it's completely <laughs> illogical. I mean, I don't like I, it's a whole other podcast, but I can't I don't understand the logic of why a surplus is bad or like if like we can't have deficits, we can't have surpluses like nobody balances anything. So why is balance the like you have to have like a perfectly even everything? No one ever gets there. Why is that such a important thing? Like, why aren't you fucked if you don't have a surplus when something happens? Like, I don't know, COVID, like, well, don't you that- need the surplus? In the nonprofit world, right, there's a recommendation that you should have, you know, a certain percentage of your your operations in reserve in case something happens, right? You're supposed to have savings for a rainy day, you know, and in, in education, it should be the same thing. And anywhere, it should be the same thing. Like, you should have some reserves in case an emergency happens, right? It's right. what allowed us when we had um, hundreds of Syrian refugee students come um, when there was the major refugee intake um it's 2015, 2016, right? Right. Um, it's what allowed us to be able to put the supports in place to take care of those kids while we were waiting for um, their following year's funding to support them to come through, right? So like, that's what that money, it allows you to take in kids who are evacuated from the Fort McMurray fire and get right. them into classrooms and get them up to speed and not have to wait for, for funding to come, right? I mean, and there's a pretty easy way around like having to, uh, like if you don't want, school divisions to build up surpluses to deal with this you could get around that by just having a government that gives you the exact number like however much money you need for every situation that comes up if an emergency comes up and they're like don't worry here's all the money you need to pay for it well that's one thing but that's not how it works they're here's what you get at the beginning of the year make it work like it's mm-hmm. so that they have to you have to think like that but anyways we'll get off uh that topic of surplus jeremy i you just look like you have something to say No, I I do want to know, um, because you mentioned that you'd run for the NDP before you were involved Mm -hmm. with them. Um, I'm just wondering, how would you characterize your relationship with the party now? Uh, Distant. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, no, I I ran for them in um, 2008 and 2012. Uh, I was a constituency president for quite a number of years. Um, Which which, uh, riding? uh i was for gold bar um edmonton gold who's bar the, um, who's the MLA marlon schmidt that? yeah and oh, marlon's okay. still a, marlon's still a friend i have i knew marlon before he was ever the candidate right and have a lot of have a lot of respect for him personally he's a you know smart caring person who who great works name. really hard yeah it's a great name uh you know schmidt's right uh but he is i wonder um, what his favorite football team is <laughs> i have I, I have no oh idea. wait i mean baseball team yeah. What? What? I love you, but I you're confusing, Wait, dude. The Marlins. Yeah, yeah, and I was heavily involved with the Women's Caucus. Um, you know, did did policy writing for the the Women's Caucus for policy proposals and stuff like that, and you know, really heavily involved. Um, and I, I think like a lot of people on the left, um, felt I felt the the NDP was trying to build a big tent. Well, at the same time, they're kind of shoving us out under the left tent flap. <laughs> like we're, we're kind of like, just, you yeah. know, and it was, it was hard because, you know, you've, you've committed a huge amount of time. I formally endorsed uh, Rachel's leadership campaign. Like showed us me yeah. at her, at the, when she was announced as the leader, like standing behind her on the stage, like, and so to see what's happened with the party feels really hard, right? Because there was a space for conversations about oil yeah. and gas and pipelines, right? Like there was a space within the party for there to be um, these conversations, but now we can't have them. We can't talk about that anymore. We can't do that. And I just, I've just walked away. Like I, I, 
the last straw for me was the um the david the decision. suzuki no it was <laughs> it was before that it was the decision you'd already given up on that's it right. was it was the decision to um uh put money into a pipeline and to pull out of the um the federal climate plan when when rachel got angry and pulled alberta out of the federal climate plan yeah. and opposed clean fuel standards yep. like that that decision to we're we're angry at you over oil and gas so therefore we are going to pull out of participating in national action on climate change like that was which is the bare bare minimum yeah i mean right? it's not it, like not even enough but the decision yeah. to to do that and i i got i i that's when i i stopped my monthly donations i walked away like i just i just can't do it anymore I, it's because I'm and like I, I feel the same way about this party quite a bit, right? Like they do, they they kind of acted as if they knew they were this accidental government, right? They kind of like got in and they were like, okay, now we want to stay in, and now we want to like they started to kind of like, how can we get these people on the other side to come mm -hmm. over to our side? One, let's do some things that they like and champion oil and gas and we'll act like we're the big like they're we're basically the same as the conservative parties in that manner and then like uh anyone that's a little too far left if you guys could get the hell out of here and shut up because you're wrecking our chances of getting these people to vote for us and then they just became a different like that they like i we well, said well when they, they the they still want us to vote for them. They no, just know absolutely. we're, we're, this, we're, they, we're, they we're think, not going to vote for anyone think else. You'll right? vote for them for sure. That's what I'm saying. Like the far, anyone that's on the left, you're going to vote for the NDP, no matter what, that's their mindset. And they're still going to try to get that, that other, like they think, you know, they, they, they're just acting like a political party is all like, I'm not giving them a mm -hmm. pass on it. I'm just saying that they, we're just watching like they we, we knew when they won in 2015 that they were going to govern from the center i mean you just knew that they mm -hmm. were going to do all kinds of basically be the progressive conservatives with a different name in a lot of ways we knew that but and they went you, and did that but when you look at conservative parties right like if you look at the ucp for example it finds room for its right flank within right. the party right like it it, it continues to keep a space for those people. Yep. Whereas the NDP kind of wants, didn't really want to find a way to continue to make a space for, for the left, the left of the party, many of whom were people who worked really hard to get them elected in 2015. And I think, and, and it was really hard and it was really heartbreaking. You look, you see people that you've known for years some of whom yep. you knew in activist communities long before they were ever candidates and you kind of watched politics eat their brains yeah you know it and it it yeah it was really disillusioning and, it, and in a lot of ways it was it was really hurtful like there were people who stopped talking to me there were people who you know and and it i guess it just it's yeah it's really hard and i so i just i just walked away I feel like that's been our country's history, right? Like being that we came from sort of like we we've had some fascistic roots uh, in our in our country. I think like the far right's always had a place, right? Always been mm -hmm. given a, a, a place at the table, especially the far, in this the, province. The far left has never been given a place, right? Like the far it, you're basically like as soon as you get, you know, an inch too far left or whatever past like hey we should all get vacation or some shit you're basically a communist and communism is the worst possible goddamn thing that's ever existed and yada 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 i just think that if you look at every it's typical i guess hmm. and uh the ndp again um it was sort of that i can understand like this i i've talked to a lot of people on on the far left who are just extremely same way just extremely disillusioned because this was, it felt like this was the chance to actually um, have a voice at the table. And in Alberta, of all places, it was like maybe too good to be true. And it was a little too good to be true, I think, at some times. Um, was just to revert back to your own story a little bit, uh, revert back, sorry for the redundancy there. But um, if you, 
hypotheticals are hard, but had COVID not arrived, do you think you could have kept going? Um, like was, was the motivation to fight the battles with the UCP still there? Like, um, you know, was COVID kind of like a straw that broke the camel's back kind of thing? Like, is it hard to imagine, but do you have a guess? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would say that probably by the fall of 2019, like you're always, every time you're coming up, within a couple of years of an election as, as someone in electoral politics, you always have to start to think like, am I gonna do this again? Am I not gonna do this again, right? And, and so definitely like I was in a contemplative stage and then we saw the election of the UCP happen. And, and for the first bit, I mean, for the first few months we weren't in COVID. So I don't know, like, I don't know what it would have been like to face down this curriculum battle, for example, if we would have been able to actually like gather in mass and do the things that we might want to do in terms of direct action or, or things like that, right? The kind of organizing, it's really hard to do when people are, are really atomized during the pandemic, especially when everything was shut down, right? Like you were all in our houses by ourselves, really kind of scattered. Um, so I don't know. I mean, because some of the things that made this last couple of years hard and exhausting in my personal life wouldn't have happened without COVID, right? Which, you know, lost family members, right? Um, you know, these different things that took place. So it's really like, I don't, it's hard to imagine what, what could have been, you know, and it might've been that I would have decided that it was important to go and focus on my PhD. Anyhow, um, it's really hard because being on a school board particularly complained, constrains your political speech in a lot of ways too, that makes it hard to do the, the criticism of government that you might want to do. Um, you know, so I, yeah, I, I, I might've walked away anyways. I mean, there were other things that happened in the right. last couple of years that, that I might've left anyways, but yeah, it, I don't know if speculating back really, you know, the, the things that happened are the things that happened. So well, right. I, I wanted to ask, cause you were relatively outspoken, uh, in your time as a trustee. I know from my experience covering school board, mind you, Madison had small potatoes compared with Edmonton, Calgary, but that, um, you know, communications are supposed to go through the board chair or the superintendent. So, um, was that the case? Is that the case in Edmonton? And did you get any pushback, um, internally from, for your, uh, um, independent streak? Yeah, I, I mean, I would say that's probably a factor in why I was vice chair and then never became chair, uh, is that I'm probably too politically um, uh, opinionated for, you know, the, the board chair has to speak on behalf of the whole board. Um, you know, there, there are ways to get around those rules. Yeah, I mean, communications, is like to do an interview with a newspaper or whatever you have to it has to go through communications and generally it's the board chair or whoever the board chair designates. Uh, but social media is a really good way to get around that because social media isn't doing an interview with media, right? So what I found is that using tools like Twitter, let me get my opinions out there. Um, also because I'm an academic in education, right? I'm working on a PhD in education policy. There are times when I really strongly defended my academic freedom around my job. So I, in areas that were within the realm of my research, I was very adamant that I am allowed to talk to journalists about my academic work, right? And so I did some interviews with people and some of those interviews you'll see, I asked journalists really clearly to say that I was not speaking on behalf of the board, that I was speaking about my academic work because it was really, really critical for me that I didn't have that I didn't have to start getting permission to talk about my research because that's there's like a, a, a fundamental academic freedom issue that comes into play there. And I already know that being in politics and being an academic, like they butt up against each other. And then that's something I've grappled with for a while too, is like, how do you think about the ways that like being in political life inflects what you choose to do as a researcher? But yeah, I, I was very like, nope, you don't get to tell me that I don't get to talk to a journalist about this paper that I just gave at a conference on Bill 24, right? Like, I get to talk about that. How, how did we well, sidestep that when we got you on the show? I don't remember having to ask nobody. We were just like, come on, talk about it. Well, it was a personal interview. So it was a like, yeah, it was a profile. Like, it was about right. who I am. 
And so it wasn't about the board. And also like when you, podcasts sorry. are a weird gray area. Yeah, we are. Like yeah. like when you went on Jesperson, uh, well, you've been on several times, but most recently, did you have to get permission from the board or did you just do it? Oh, the, the well, I've only been on his podcast once. Um, well, yeah. I, I, yeah, I mean, and that was that was talking about my decision not to run again. So again, oh, right. it was a personal a personal interview. So you can do those, right? I'm surprised he didn't wait until we had you on before he booked you. This is his MO. No, I was on your show first. He's what's that? I was on your show before. Oh, of course. Uh, Originally, of course. Are you kidding me? Everybody is. He's just, he he has guests every day and yet somehow he still takes the guests that we've had. We're only a weekly show. We like to, we, we trash him for that on this show, but he does like every, we'll we'll book somebody in the next week. It's like, all right, I see what you're doing here. He yeah, snuck. All- he snuck Mayor Clark in, like, un- in between our recording and <laughs> uh, releasing. So he had the first interview, uh, like recorded interview in her career as a as the mayor, and uh, he slid in before we could release it. So also speaking, yeah, of we got to ask him about that. Yeah, speaking of Ryan Jesperson, um, to any of our listeners. Um, stop any um attempts to try to get us on his show it's never gonna he's never gonna let jeremy and i on air in that show are you fucking kidding me like never (laughs) every once in a while somebody will be like ryan get schmitzy says on your show and like he won't even fucking reply and i'm like yeah i wouldn't either i mean you could try i in fact i would encourage listeners to try and get us on the show what's what's he afraid of well, what are we going to talk about? I'm, I, I know hero. what he'd be afraid of. I yeah, just don't yeah. Know what the well, he can't handle. Is. He can't handle the truth. Uh, no, but um, he doesn't want uh, that show to be his last show. Yeah, no, but um, we'll find- <laughs> um, no, but I wanted to. I wanted to go back to um, you know this sort of uh, you know relative outsp- outspokenness. I don't think it's relative. Um, and this sort of, you know, you finding these like gray areas and loopholes that allowed you to um, speak your mind a bit. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Speak your mind a bit. What, what was what did uh, the what did Trisha Estabrooks make of that? Like, did, did what was your relationship with her like? Uh, I would say that. Who who is the board chair, by the way, for our listeners not in Edmonton? Yeah. Uh... Trisha and I have had a really complicated relationship and some of it is around stuff that I, I can't talk about. Um, there are things that have to remain confidential even after you leave. But um, no, I mean, I, I think, I mean, part of it is, you know, um, I think Trisha and I fundamentally approach issues in a different way. And I think some of that's shaped by her years as a journalist, right, for the the CBC and that Sometimes I know she was a journalist. Yeah, that's her. That's her background, and I think that shapes how people approach issues a lot. In, in a different way. And and I see that really commonly in a lot of people who who are journalists who go into politics. Is there's this taking the sort of idea of of both sides that comes from like sort of conventional journalism training, and people tend to bring that into their politics, right? So you get you get an interesting. I think it's not. I think it's unsurprising that most journalists who go into federal politics end up running for the liberals, right? Like there, it tends to sort of breed a particular kind of very centrist politics that thinks about what is, what is the, what is the thing that constituents tell me on each side of this issue and not like coming from a place, which I I think which is where I come from, which is, um, a different ideological position. I and mean, let's not pretend that centrism isn't an ideological position. I'm tired of that nonsense. It is an ideological position. It's just the, you know, neoliberalism. Yeah, neoliberalism <laughs> is the water we swim in. And so that's like, it's like, we don't notice it, it should, like we don't notice air. Right? Um, I think it should be illegal for um, journalists to uh, run for office. Yeah, like, so I come from, like, I come from a, an ideological position on the left. Um, you know, I um, I have a different idea. Like my my politics are shaped by um, humanity. Personal... Yeah, well, humanity, <laughs> and, and in particular, 
in particular, I'll say like a, um, a lot of my politics are shaped by uh, some political theory about ethics of care and relationality, right? So um, I think that like a lot of my politics come from a, a really profound ethical stance and position on the world about who we should be as a society, how we should treat each other in the world, right? And that that that's where politics come from, right? Is that they're, they're kind of social relation, right? Politics are a social relation. And, you know, and, and one of my beliefs as part of that is that um, we shape a lot of our politics right now around a particular kind of social relation, which is economy, right? The economy is, you know, as much as economists like to pretend it's this thing that exists outside of people, economics is a, is a social science. And that means that it's about people and, and it, economic relations are a kind of social relation, right? They're a way, one of the ways that we interact with other people, but why is that the social relationship, the relation that we make the heart of every single political decision? I've gotten way off track here, but like, no, it really profoundly bothers me that yeah. we make all of our political decisions around what is best for this one particular narrow area, which is the economy, which is about financial relationships between humans and often really, really toxic and broken financial relationships. Right? You and, should all read then, my column this week. Yeah. It's and so very we, much fuck that shit. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah. So we don't make our decisions around like what are the other things that that allow us to care for one another as as full human beings in a society. Right. And so you know and and when your economic relations in particular, the economic relations of capitalism Right, which are the economic relations of power and control in a lot of ways, right? then when you shape all of your political decisions through that lens, it leads to some really, it, it leads to all the, the stuff we see in politics, right? I have kind of a two-part question for you. And the first part I have to, I want to say like, A, if you haven't thought this about this, I apologize if I put this in your head. Two, um, I just want like basically... Um, we need lots of like, we all understand that these, some of these fights need to be had, right? And we understand that we need certain people to fight these fights. And every time, whenever, like I personally like take a break from writing or doing the podcast, or whatever, there's a sense of guilt sometimes because I feel like I should be fighting the fight. And I want to ask you, was there any sense of that when you decided to stop or to not run for uh, Edmonton school board? Like, did you feel like a part of you saying like, I need to be there because of uh, what I bring through the fight. And my second part of the question is, are there ways that you plan to uh, sort of keep, I don't know, maybe activism or keep advocating for uh, whether it be public education or anything else as you go forward? Yeah. And I, and I think for the second part of that question, I think that actually being out of being a trustee allows me to do some of those things better will allow me to do some of those things better because it won't be dealing with the, the constraints, right? Um, the first part, yeah, I mean, it's, it, I, I did. And, I, and, I, and it wasn't helped by the fact that a lot of people were really dismayed when I said I wasn't right. running again, right? You know, what are we gonna do? You know, you can't leave, you, you can't leave us. We need you. Yeah, and yeah. actually I, I think it comes from a really messed up idea of of how we do politics right and it it's it's like how it, it makes me think about like the great man idea in history right when we talk about history and we have this idea of like singular heroes who change the world but that's not actually how it works right? like one person doesn't do it and i i think it's actually really bad for us to put all of our political faith in individual people right like i you know, I have a, a deep admiration for Janice Irwin. I've known her for years. She's a phenomenal person. And I see, I both feel that admiration for her. And I also feel the worry in how much weight, actually people across this whole province put on her to be this great hero, right? And, and I see that and I worry about how that, first of all, how that affects her, but also what does it do to us when we think, that one elected official is going to be able to fix things for us, right? And if we expect them to do it for us, what are we not doing for ourselves, right? What are we not doing for ourselves and our, for, for our communities? And right, leaders can be great because they can inspire us to do things, 
But what we've come to, and it's partly, again, back to this like really individualized idea of who we are, right, that, that we live in right now is that we're all, all individuals who act independently. Um, you know, what does it mean when we believe that one person is able to carry all of the work for us, right? Rather than us being part of the work and getting involved in that work. And so leaders should be the people who inspire us to do more, not the people we expect to do more for us. And so- it's a, a great point. Yeah. So actually it was, it, it, it's really grinding. It's really grinding to have people expect you to, to save them, right? And that's what it feels like sometimes. And, and like superheroes are, are things in movies. They're not- real right there it's I mean, not I, you can almost works. empathize right like we all there's i mean we all kind of yearn for that person to step in the limelight and solve all our problems for us right like you you know like uh there's all kinds of figures in the past that we look at back and like what a great what a great uh man or woman they were and what and what a what an amazing person and advocate they were and whatnot uh, it's natural to like want someone to step in and just take care of that for you right uh so i mean i i've probably been guilty of it of that same thing in the past where you put too much stock in a person and um i find that like it's you're right it's probably a path of disappointment more often than not uh one that person's gonna let you down uh because you're you're asking something that's like unrealistic you're hoping for something unrealistic and when they leave you feel, or when they're not around, you feel like there's like an inadequate. Yeah, no, it's a amazing, actually really great point. Cause I think I, I, like listening to you say, that, I'm like, yeah, I've done that to people before myself. Like, I think that's fair. And um, you're really like, uh, it's really smart to already have that understanding. Cause a lot of people in your position would actually like feel that guilt through, right? Like that they're the people telling you like, don't go, don't go would really, um, grip you and uh, you seem to have a pretty good handle on just sort of letting that go and doing what you think is right oh don't don't let's not pretend I don't feel that feeling still right <laughs> like you do because you walk away and you think like who's going to get elected after me because you don't have control over over the election right and and you think like what happens if some terrible you know far right person right. gets in here and then they start like you know, undermining education, clawing back the rights of LGBTQ kids in schools, right? The, the, the hard work on, on getting rid of policing in schools, all the things that have been really fundamental to my work over the last few years. Um, what happens if you get somebody in who's just gonna try, their, their whole purpose is gonna be to reverse every single piece of that work. And so that's scary, right? So it's, it's, it was scary for me thinking about like, what happens when my vote leaves the table at the same time, like elections are like that anyways. Like if I hadn't, if I had run again, it would be possible that that could happen too. Right. Right. And if I leave, maybe I make space for somebody else who has some fresh energy and perspective to bring some new energy to that fight. Right. And so, you know, sometimes it's better to step aside and, and support somebody else getting into that role. Who Who's the, uh, you were word G, right? Mm-hmm. Who who's the word G trustee now? Uh, Sadiq Sumar. Is he good? Yeah, he seems cool. Yeah, we, we had coffee a couple of weeks ago. Um, yeah, I went and sat outside at Cafe B- Cafe Bicyclette because they've got this super cool heated patio. Uh, and uh, yeah, went and and had a cup of coffee. Talked about my experience on the board, the things that were important to him. You know where he wants to go. He's a, a young dad. Um, brings a really important perspective. I think he's only the third person of color to ever serve on the Edmonton Public School Board, which is- Wow. Yeah. That's wild to say like Edmonton. Yeah, yeah. Like how many the, positions are there again on the board? There's nine trustees on the board. Yeah. And so, Edmonton Public Schools is more than a hundred years old. Wow. Yeah. Wait, there are nine trustees on Edmonton's Public School Board? Yeah. So there are less on Calgary's. Yeah, there, there are. are. I, I don't, yeah, it's, I, I don't know. How, how many does Calgary have? Like seven, six, seven, seven. seven. Yeah. yeah. It's always an odd number. Yeah. Right. So yeah, they don't tie. Um, I, but I wanted to ask, I, sorry, Bridget, uh, if you have more to no, say, it's okay. yeah. no, I'm good. Uh, okay. Um, cause we're, I think we're, we're getting close to time. Yeah. We're getting close to the end. So I just some... want, 
Yeah, no, I just want to ask you, what are you most proud of from your time on school board? Because you were there for what, six years, five years? Six years, yeah. Six years. So over those six years, what would you say uh, is your greatest accomplishment? I think I know what it is, but I'm interested to see if if my um, I know my what his guess is. Yeah. Yeah, is, and is correct. It's probably not the thing you think it is. Uh, my actually one of the biggest thing, most important things I've. I think I leave behind, and this is weird because I'm very critical of, of technocratic solutions to things, but I will say that I'm incredibly proud of, you know, one of the things I was really committed to in the time on my board was making really important changes in policy that support and push forward the things that I think are really important in education, right? That support inclusion, that support well-being, that create space for those different things. And um, it seems like a weird thing to say, right? Because, you know, we tend to think of policy wonkery as tinkering around the edges of, of social change, but it's also a place where you can reshape systems and structures, right? That you can um, do different things. So if I think about, for example, and I, I'm going to guess that Jeremy was thinking about the school resource officer. Absolutely. Yes. Getting, I guess. getting yeah. policing out of schools. And that was really, really important, right? And in that fight, you know, when I think about it, there are a couple of things. First of all, it was not going to be possible for me to just get a, a clear vote to end the program forever. Like I knew I wasn't going to be able to get people to vote for that. But I also knew that if people voted to suspend the program, chances were that it was going to say stay suspended. That it was just going to be gone because there was an MOU that existed. And and to, to suspend the program, the division had to pull out of the MOU. And so you know, and then you have to re-enter a new MOU. And then the next change we made in policy is that change the policy about delegation of authority that then any agreement with um, police or paramilitary organizations or, or military has to be approved by the board. So any new MOU that could bring policing back into schools now has to have the board's approval. So the board never voted to take police out, but now the board will have to vote to bring police back in, right? And so these are the things you can do through um, through policy, right? They can they can actually do really important things. But more than that, there was a work around um, safe and inclusive schools uh, that we created this this umbrella policy at the start of my term, and we created this this framework for. Um, for safe and inclusive schools that has continued to shape a whole bunch of really critical policies. So it allowed us to, to take the SOGI policy, which was already like a groundbreaking policy when it was brought in by Edmonton Public Schools um, and expand it. So now not only does it um, protect sexually and gender diverse students, but now it also protects staff. It protects families. It protects all of those people around schools, right? It allowed us to fund, fundamentally reshape our thinking around the First Nations Métis Inuit education policy um, that talks about things like colonialism in school board policy, right? To create an anti-racism policy, which while not perfect, it talks about um, systemic racism. It talks about, you know, these different pieces of things in education policy, which is really critical in opening the door to continue to push that conversation further, right? And so leaving behind that body of policy, you know, is it radical revolutionary change? No. You know, do I want to see radical revolutionary change? Yes. But it opens the door for some really, really key conversations that we need to be having in education. And when I think about what I'm leaving behind, that's probably the most permanent legacy of what I've done, um, you know, and, and those things can stand and last for a really long time, you know, and in a couple of years, they'll be out of date and people have to push it further and that's okay. Right. But we, we moved it far enough that we can, can continue to move that on in the future. I got a that's couple. not as, not as fun as, you know, it's not as, as uh, the cops. Yeah. Which was, I mean, let's, Super let's be fun. really clear. I think it was good to get cops out of schools. Yeah. I got a couple of quick ones before we let you go. Um, I, one, um, maybe aside from whatever pandemic waves bring uh, to the Edmonton school, the public schools, uh, what do you think is the sort of the biggest thing facing the board uh, as it moves forward and why is it curriculum? And two, um, 
your immediate plans aside uh, well one how long you how long till the phd is uh in the bag and um do you like do you have any uh plans aside from that over the short term yeah so question maybe <laughs> okay so the the big the issue facing the board i mean obviously the curriculum fight's going to be big right and where that goes next is that you know this year with the pilot year school boards were able to refuse it but under provincial law um once the curriculum is implemented uh any accredited school whether that's public charter or private can't refuse to use it, right? That you have you have really strict rules. Um, well, you can refuse to use it, but then you don't get funded, right? Then you're, right. and if you're a public school board, you're risking having your board fired. Um, so where that's going to go, and and they're charging ahead with the next stages of curriculum. So this year is the pilot year for K to six. Next year they're planning on piloting uh, grade seven to nine. They're planning on piloting junior high next year. To who? Who's uh, piloting K to six now? Uh, there are a handful of like literal handful, not literal. Yeah, handful, ooh, like, no, we're wait, talking like, like three or something, right? Yeah, wait, you can put not... the schools in the <laughs> hand. <laughs> I can hear Roberta listening to me say that when wait, I say like literally. Are, are these well, like literally <laughs> schools for ants? Well, and then you know, and most of them aren't piloting the full curriculum, which is a problem too when you're talking about an elementary curriculum because normally in elementary school, right? You're you're not you're not teaching one subject, right? You're, you're, it's all integrated. That's how elementary schools work, right? You're in one classroom, there's cross curricular linkages. That's how it works, right? And I'm not a curriculum expert. So if you wanna, if you wanna hear more about this, you should interview Carla, uh, but which I know you guys have done before. Who um, is your PhD supervisor? She is my PhD supervisor. Shout out to um, Carla Peck, friend of the show. Okay. Yep, she's amazing. Dr. Carla Peck, I mean, come on, let's respect Risty, anyways. But, oh, incredibly grateful to be amazing. working with her. Um, but she's, yeah, so that's that's going to be a big fight, right? Because, and and how are, how is it going to be implemented when people have a pilot? I mean, it's going to be a mess. Like next, next year is going to be really messy. And I, I don't know what's going to happen. What I'd love to see is like broad-based resistance because again, you can fire one school board, but you can't fire all of them, right? Like, like if everybody just refused at once. Oh. Yeah. I mean, uh, the issue, though, is that school birds are refusing to pilot it, but they have to use it, right? Like That's what she's saying. So, like, if, 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 if you refused it, you're now, you're like, if you did refuse it, you'd be risking, like, losing your funding or board being fired. But if 60 divisions say we're not doing it, what are you going to do? Yeah, you're not going to fund if only, public education if only, anymore? If only there was like an association of school boards across the province that could coordinate <laughs> something like this. Uh, well, and you know, if only those associations, that association would work together with associations that might represent teachers and parents and, you know, uh, dare to dream. you know, it would be great to see, um, be great to see some collaboration on that rather than than adversarial relationships, which you can sometimes get into. But I think that's shifted actually in this. Um, so I think the curriculum is part of it. There's other pieces though too. There's the funding piece, particularly around um, uh, funding for students with um, additional learning needs, right? Puff funding, um, you know, those pieces, um, the continuing challenge of infrastructure. Like there's just so much going on right now in schools. And so the pandemic's part of it. And it's not just the waves of the pandemic, but like what are the long-term consequences for kids of this time? And, um, you know, the, the effects that this has had on, on schools and on kids' mental and physical health. Because kids who, kids who get COVID can get long COVID, right? Like that's- 30% or something. Yeah, they, get it, we're told. you know, people- people have this weird binary that it's like dead or alive. And it's like, well, no, it's sometimes, you know, permanent, potentially permanent disability. We don't know yet. Um, so yeah, so that's, that's what I see coming for the board. It's not going to be an easy time for, for trustees. I really admire anyone who stepped up to run this time. Cause you know, when I came in in 2015, it was a, a pretty optimistic picture. I think now when people are coming in, they know they're in for a pretty rough ride. Uh, the next part, uh how what's what's left on the phd oh you asked me don't don't ever ask someone doing a phd how long they have to finish oh, how long they have oh left sorry in like, it's like i'm the, sorry i only have uh, the, the experience question. of trying the one time 
Yeah. Yeah. No. Sorry. Did, I, yeah. Did stupid did, people like us don't know the process? Has Has Roberta not? Did Roberta not teach you this when she was doing her? Uh, uh, I probably forgot. Like she scolds me so many <laughs> times. Like yeah. I, I probably forgot the time that I was like, "How much longer yeah. is this gonna friggin' take?" No, I I will say though, like since since I left the school board, everything's like I feel like it's moving, which is great, right? Like I'm I'm finally finished the first draft of my candidacy paper and I expect it's going to come back covered in uh, red ink. notes and red ink from Carla <laughs> any moment now. Uh, you know, but it, that's, that's the process, right? So, so I'm hoping to complete my candidacy and, you know, first bit of the new year. Uh, and then I'll be on to ethics approvals and, uh, you know, doing my, my actual research. And then I got to write a dissertation and I got to, you know, I want to wrap that all up by. So a couple of weeks for sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I want to wrap that all take. up by 2023. So yeah, um, yeah it's going to be, it's going to be a while, but it actually, it, it having the weight of the school board off my mind has opened up so much space for me intellectually and in, in my, my work and my research is on a lot of the stuff that I've been fighting for as a trustee, like it's in those same areas. So it feels like a continuity, but yeah, the, the level of creativity I've felt in the last few weeks has been remarkable. Um, so yeah, and so I don't know what's going to happen after that. And and it's a weird time in academia where you don't know, like academic jobs are hard to get these days. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not married to the idea of being an academic. I would, I would love that. I would love to be able to do that. But if I end up working in government or working, you know, in the policy world somewhere, you know, so be it. There's lots of opportunities for people with, with education policy. PhDs, lots of things I can do. And I bring a kind of a distinct background because, you know, you don't get a lot of people who do trusteeship early in life. Most people do it after they retire. Right. Um, so yeah, so I think it's, that's what happens after that. Uh, otherwise I'm, you know, just, yeah, trying to figure out what is life post-politics, right? right? And I don't mean post-politics because I'm not going to stop doing politics, but what is, what is it like, to, what is life as a recovering politician look like? And yeah, is there a support group? Hi, I'm Bridget. I'm hey, a former are, trustee. I'm a, reco- some, I'm a recovering trustee. There are some of us who talk to each other, uh, like other folks who've been in politics who who I've talked to about what it's you know how do you how do you become a normal person after that is an interesting question. I'm sure that ship has sailed for uh, uh, quite a number of people that get into that role and come with the other side. Normal yeah. is probably not something that you can ever aspire to again, you know, but um, Jeremy, you got anything else quick you want to ask? No, say? nothing. No, I I mean, I, I have a few things. You but clearly have something on your mind because I can see your face. It's like very smirky. Just no, because this what I'm thinking of is going to open. A it's whole inappropriate. Oh, we're gonna oh. we're gonna have like a whole other conversation probably if we go down Bridget. those roads. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Um. But I'll I'll ask you off pod. Okay. Well. Uh, anyway. Now okay. everyone else could just wonder. Right. Yeah. Wonder. They'll just yeah. be like, I will not listen to the forgotten. Yeah. Send me your you guesses. Bring Bridget back to discuss this uh, <laughs> unknown, this mystery topic. This is how um, I make sure I get a, re- a repeat invite again, right? This oh, time you're I, sure all, I get a third I mean, appearance. Cliffhanger, yeah. You're yeah. always welcome on the show. Are you kidding me? We, we love chatting with you. I can't believe it's been like 78 episodes or nine episodes in between. Um, uh, crazy like that. We've well, we've been wanting to have you back on for a, a while. Um, Absolutely. It just, uh, you know, things come up and it's like, oh, let's no, talk to good. that person. I'm not. Yeah. I'm, I'm actually really enjoying the book club. I'm a, I'm one of the people actually reading along in the book club. It's it's great. a great book. Like it is such a good book. It, so it, gotta, it's uh, it's maddening at times. Like it's like ugh, like you got to pick a good next book because yeah, this is a good. I know, starter. I know. I my I'm voting for People's Republic of Walmart, but we're mm. gonna let the doc. It's a short book. We could do it. In I like know, a week. and it's really good read too. But we'll let the doc pick the book because it's uh this it's her uh it's her show. We just uh we just come and learn, and she teaches and like. But yeah, uh, we're really excited. To, uh, um, Tyler Shipley's going to be on the show in the new That's year. So exciting. Um, I think probably we're going to book him for early February. So we'll do the final part of the book in early January, and then we'll bring him on a couple of weeks later. 
Um, to the listeners now, we're going to take a couple weeks off at Christmas, uh, as we did last year. Um, everyone's got mm. much uh, uh, better or bigger things to uh, do than this. So we're going to... Not me. Uh, well, yeah, Jer- Jeremy's available. <laughs> uh, Hanukkah's like halfway through already, I think, right? More than halfway through. More than halfway uh, through. Tonight is night six. Oh, crap. Yeah. So hit him up in like three days. He's got nothing but time on his hands. But for the rest of us, we've got. Yeah. If you want to, uh, (laughs) if you want to see a movie on uh, December 25th, get some Chinese food. He's down. Yeah. Uh, Hit me up. Yeah. Absolutely. Calgary. So, uh, but we will have an episode next week still. Uh, one more before our break. Then we're going to take a couple off into the new year. And uh, when we come back in the new year, we'll be back with some uh, book club, uh, the final part of the book club. But uh, Bridget, thank you so much for coming. Uh, you're always welcome on the show. Um, we, uh, we're we really glad to be able to get a little insight after, uh, after you left the board behind and um, catch up with you a bit. Awesome. Thanks, guys. It's always good to get to chat with you. We shall yeah, have good her. Good to see you, Bridget. We will see bring her back. Don't you worry, folks. Now, it's time in the show where we say thank you to those of our patrons who go way above and beyond anything we could ever hope for. To Nicola Dinicola, to Bridget. Uh, I don't know why I was about to say Bridget. Bridget Sterling. I'm, I'm a patron, but not at the level. Yeah, you like, guys oh, usually well, read every week. Today. To Bridget Sterling, to Dave Von Miller, <laughs> to the Big Red Machine, to Chris Sterwald, and to Darius Bearguard. And I got that's all of them, right? Yeah, that's that's the top tier. Anyways, thanks you, you guys. Nicola. You guys are amazing. Uh, Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, uh, Happy. Do you say Happy Kwanzaa? I don't know what the what's the. I term? think it's Kwanzaa's a celebratory uh, holiday. It's I think. But do you say Happy, or is there like a specific like if you don't say it correctly, like all their the conservative. Well, no, I, I'm just thinking of like Yom Kippur when like yeah, when Casey do <laughs> was like Yom congratulations. <laughs> Congratulations on uh, repenting. Okay, what was sins. the MLA that did that? The, uh, the... that was that was uh, Medu. Oh that's my like, god! That's like a... wishing people like a happy, you know, uh, Good Friday. Like, don't. That's not. Oh, not that a happy is, all... good, is good Friday not happy? No, no. I mean, it. I guess it depends. I mean, on it's, which side I mean, it's of fine if you're happy about you the day on, off. But... The... Yeah. All right, I just got myself canceled. All right, we love you guys. (laughs) We'll see you guys next week. It's Um, called Good Friday. That's right. I know. I know. Uh, Take yeah. Happy. Not like it's Ash Wednesday. Like obviously that's not happy. Uh, See you guys next week. (laughs) Bye bye. Bye.